You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. You should have gotten a letter in two forms this weekend, one in your inbox and one in your brick-and-mortar mailbox. Um, I want you to take a few minutes with it so you'll have all the info you need for our Global Impact Celebration. There's a brochure in there. There's a sample of a card that will be um, that you'll be using on the Sunday of GIC. Um, I'm going to give you just a few highlights. You may feel like this is overkill, but that's okay. For somebody in here, it's the first time they're really actually hearing this. So um, just a few highlights. Friday night's meal and worship service, 6 to 8.30 p.m. It will be beautiful. Maggie Freitag will share her story of time in Kenya and also how the GIC, it was a GIC that helped to shape her vocational vision. Um, Saturday, Evangelism Like Jesus workshop from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., It's led by Chris, but we've got these experts coming in to also talk to us about what evangelism looks like in their context. So Warren Latham, Venezuela Now, Sonia Pass with TMS Global, serving all over the world, and Peter Pereira uh, from India. They'll all be participating, and all of our mission partners, both local and global, will share with us over lunch about their ministries. It would mean a lot to me if you come to support our partners Uh, so that we can be good hosts for them. Thank you for that. Saturday Kids Mission Workshop also happens, and we've just heard from Jenny about that. It's way more than child care. This is our opportunity to shape our kids for mission. And then Sunday morning prayer hour. This is kind of a special thing that we're doing this year. We're trying it just from 9.30 to 10.15. We're going to pray over our mission partners and over the world around them. And, um, and then after we've primed the pump with prayer, Sunday morning, one worship service and potluck lunch. That starts at 10.30 a.m. So how many services on October 22nd? And what time? Very nice. Bill Currington, pastor of St. James Methodist in Athens, is our speaker. October is a five-Sunday month, and the last couple of years, on the fifth Sunday of the month, we've been doing what we call Communion Sunday, and we have lunch after um, on, on that Sunday. But this time, this month, we're going to do that lunch on the fourth Sunday, on GIC weekend. Uh, So we can all eat together and celebrate a great weekend. Our goal is for every person connected with Mosaic to know their call and to have confidence in living it out. So I want you to be here for all of it. And here's the message I want to share with you today. We're going to come back to that question. We cannot be in two places at the same time. So how do we choose where we'll be? That's the question that comes to the surface in Luke chapter 12. If you've got your Bible... I want you to um, turn to Luke chapter 12. N.T. Wright says, Luke 12 is a standing rebuke to all casual, half-hearted, relaxed Christianity. And he is totally right about that. Luke 12 does not take prisoners. He's asking us to make some choices. So I want to ask you to take some notes in the margin of your Bible. Always the best way to engage is with your Bible and something to write with. And um, today I want you to write notes, write in the margin of your Bible if, that, if you're a person who can do that. So somewhere in the, in the vicinity 
of Luke 12 between the verses between verse 13 and verse 21 somewhere in that vicinity Luke 12 13 to 21 I want you to write this the choice between security and sharing the choice between security and sharing I'm going to read this parable for you someone in the crowd said to him teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me Jesus replied Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between the two of you? That's really brilliant, isn't it? Don't get involved in somebody else's family squabble. That's really brilliant. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. I want you to circle the word greed. And there's, it's really interesting that Jesus says all kinds of greed. Never occurred to me before I did this study for this message that there's more than one kind of greed. But there is. And then he goes on, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I want you to underline that. Life is not about your stuff. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my old barns and I'll build bigger barns. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years, so take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who's going to get all that stuff you've prepared for yourself? And that's how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Ho, oh, friends, this story is about greed, but it's about a particular kind of greed, the kind that masks itself as common sense desire to have enough so we don't die before our stuff runs out. Who else here has that secret fear that you will live longer than your stuff? Or is that just me? Seriously? Is it just me? Come on. This is, this, this, is, this is about security, which is what it looks like for the guy in this parable. And it's tricky because this guy is not entirely wrong. Having the intelligence and skill to plant a successful crop is a good thing. And if you get a lot of grain, you have to put it somewhere, so business expansion is a good thing. And saving for the future is not wrong. The problem for this guy is how he deals internally with his choice and his profits. Rather than filtering it through his relationship with God or seeking God's guidance on how best to use it, he stuffs it in barns. And here's the thing. Just before this parable, I mean just before this parable, the same teaching section, Jesus challenges the crowd he's teaching to be bold in their witness. Listen to this. He says, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. And then he tells them, if they're bold enough in their witness, they will be challenged. But don't worry, he says. God will give you what you need. The Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. And that word, God will give you what you need, leads right into this parable with a message about the dangers of playing it safe, tending to your own security, which is a kind of greed, before any consideration of sharing what you've been given. So listen, this is a word, Jesus, remember we're looking over the shoulders of a first century audience, this was a word to Israel, 
which had been told, Isaiah 49, I will make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. But he's saying to them, your salvation story won't reach the ends of the earth if it has been stuffed into barns for safekeeping. And crazy how it works. But it turns out the bigger our barns, the smaller our hearts. A.W. Tozer says, one of the world's greatest tragedies is that we allow our hearts to shrink until there is room in them for little besides ourselves. Greed does that. It's sort of like kudzu. You can't have just a little of it. Plant it in one area of your life and suddenly you find it popping up in your gutters, at the top of your house. Even your desire to share the gospel. So do you hear what he's saying here? Security is a kind of greed. And if you cannot be in two places at once, it will be difficult for security and sharing to hold the same importance in your life. One of them will get your heart. The other will get your leftovers. And because Jesus knows how we're made, he knows this kind of talk makes us anxious. So he goes directly from this parable to a pastoral word. So in the margin of your Bible, somewhere in the vicinity of Luke 12, verses 22 to 34, I want you to write the choice between worry and kingdom seeking. Here's verse 22. Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. I want you to circle the word worry. And in fact, I want you to circle the word worry every time it shows up here because it keeps showing up. He has a point to make. Do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. It's the second time he's tried to tell us this. Your life is not your stuff. That is not your life. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after these things, but your father knows you need them. Seek first his kingdom, and everything you need will be given. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. That is a, I'm coming back to that. Underline that. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, what? Jesus gets us. He knows that financial and physical provision make us worry. Come on, I need an amen from somebody. Even talking about it makes us worry. And so he, he wants us to get over that. Don't set your hearts there, he says. Don't worry about it. But we do. 
Here's my confession. I get wound up when I'm tired. Do you do this? Bless Steve Moore's heart. He is a saint with a profound patience for my late night worry. I get tired and I, and I get in bed and I say, I'm pretty sure we're not going to make it. Do you think we're not going to make it? Which he just absolutely loves. Let me tell you that. And by make it, I don't mean our marriage. I, I, that I don't worry about. I, my worry is existential and undefined. I can't even say why I feel it in the late night hours. I just feel like we're not going to make it. And it's only made worse when I walk through a beautiful neighborhood like in Charleston or on the hill. Any place with big houses, big front porches, and big trees. And all I can think as I walk through those neighborhoods is how much I want that life. That, that house. And, I, and, I, and hearing these thoughts in my head, you know, I, I, I have to confess that for a long time now, I have been secretly wanting the kind of house and furniture and artwork that when people walk into our house, they will say, wow, all this. And she's so sold out for Jesus, too. <laughs> Do you hear the disconnect? I'm having to confess that I'm somewhere inside. I want to be in two places at once. Even though life is not defined by what we have, Jesus says so. He says life is more than stuff. But just in case, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? <laughs> or a color TV? In fact, Jesus tells us three really important things in this little part that I've just read you. I want you to write this down. First, Jesus tells us that worry is not a good provider. You should write that down. Take it from an expert who has had a thousand late-night conversations with her husband. Worry is not a good provider. Second, Jesus teaches that the accumulation of stuff is not a good pacifier. Because it's perishable. Even our excitement over it is perishable. Ask any parent who has stayed up for hours on Christmas Eve putting together bikes and playscapes only to watch their children ignore that and play with the box. The accumulation of stuff. We've got an amen up here on the front. Yeah. Just give them boxes, people. The accumulation of stuff is not a good pacifier. And third, Jesus tells us that the way to peace is getting our insides lined up with our outsides. Does your spending match your speech? Do your habits match your heart? Are your treasures lined up with the heart of God? If not, Jesus has, this is the best, Jesus has a very quick fix for you. Sell your stuff. <laughs> Give to the poor. If you want to get your head and heart jerked in the right direction really fast, just sell it all, he says. It's basically he's saying the same thing to us that we say to our two children who are fighting over a Nintendo. If you can't play kind, look, I'll take the whole thing from you. This is how you change your spiritual location. Because here's the thing, you cannot be in two places at the same time. At some point, we all have to make a choice about where we will be. So Jesus says, 
Put your treasure in heaven because where your treasure is, then your heart will be there too. So I want to stop here and say something about how the global impact celebration works. If you were there the last time we did one, this will sound familiar to you. But for those of you who are new, who weren't here the last time we did a GIC, I just want to share that on the Sunday of our GIC weekend, we'll get a card that looks like this. And we'll come to a place at the end of the service where we will be invited to consider how we will spend our treasures. And by treasures, I mean your time and your prayers and your resources. You'll get this card and you'll be invited as the Lord moves. There's no pressure, seriously, no pressure. It's just invitation to make a life commitment first. And by life commitment, I don't mean you have to give your whole life to GIC tutoring. I don't, I'm sorry, GED tutoring. I don't mean that. Although some people may be ready to make that kind of commitment. For most of us, this, this life commitment is more about the minutes and hours and days of your life. Where do you want to spend that time? How do you want to make a difference? That's a life commitment. Where do I want to spend my time? And along with that commitment, you'll also be invited to pray for one or more mission partners throughout the coming year. And our prayer team will set you up as our partners send uh, updates. We'll send those out so that you can keep interceding all year long. And then there is an invitation to what we call a faith promise. And I want to explain this clearly so that as you're praying, you'll know what to pray into. This GIC faith promise is not the same as a tithe. Your tithe is what you give as an act of worship in agreement with the spiritual call to worship through giving. And also that tithe is there to support the ongoing work of God through his church. That's a tithe. I consider a tithe to be 10% of my income, a privileged participation in the kingdom of God. And that privilege, I believe, belongs to all of us. I have been incredibly grateful to those of you who have committed to the tithe this year particularly. Your giving has made a tremendous difference in what our church has been able to do. So thank you. So that's the tithe. It's what we give every week. But offerings are above and beyond the tithe. Offerings are what we give as the Lord provides beyond the tithe to support local, regional, and global mission efforts. And they're what we give out of a grateful heart. So where the tithe supports the work of the local church, offerings support missions beyond these walls. Does that make sense? Tithes are everybody's response to God's provision. That's a work of obedience. Offerings are a gift of gratitude beyond the tithe that express our passion for seeing God's kingdom advance. So for obvious, I'm explaining this slowly because for obvious reasons, we don't want you to split your tithes between general giving and GIC giving. That would limit our ability as a church to steward our ministry both inside and beyond the walls. But maybe beyond your local giving, I mean your normal giving, you might think about some creative way you could sacrifice for the cause of local, regional, and global missions. Maybe it would be giving the equivalent of one meal per week 
maybe the amount you'd spend on a meal out. I figured it out for Steve and me. The, this is conservative, actually, but the one meal out for us over the course of a year would be $1,300. One meal a week. What did I say? Oh, one meal out. One meal a week. Thank you. One meal a week. That would be about $1,300. One meal, $1,300. We, as I said, have a little bit of an issue. Um, one meal a week over the course of a year would be $1,300. I almost said $13 million. Thirteen hundred is enough to make a difference on the mission field. Or maybe you'll have a yard sale and give that to missions, or the cash you save from couponing can go to missions. Lindsay Pridgen is an avid knitter, and she has started knitting hats to sell for missions. She thought about this about the time we started talking about GIC, and she brought the idea to me. How awesome is that? You and God know your life and what's possible. Your part is to pray for the kind of creativity and giving that unleashes both power and community. You know, during both world wars, I mean, I'm talking about the 20th century, World War I, World War II, every American citizen was asked to do their part um, to win the war. That was one of the big differences between the wars that 20th century Americans experienced and the 21st century Americans experienced. We... We, we have wars going on in our world right now that actually impact us personally, but we don't feel it. We don't feel the connection to war. But back then, during World War II, for instance, every citizen was asked to contribute. They collected tin and rubber, and they saved their money to buy war bonds, and they planted victory gardens, and Boy Scouts collected newspapers, children collected milkweed to stuff into life jackets. Everybody participated. And there was a great sense of unity and of purpose. And listen, pretty much everything, listen, everything Jesus says about money, he's trying to get people to get that point, that there is a war on, a battle for souls. And Jesus is asking for a wartime lifestyle from his followers. He gets it. Unless we all participate, we won't all be unified around a common purpose. And because this is a spiritual war, you might not necessarily feel it going on all around you unless you have eyes to see it. So it would be tempting to go on as if life, with life as if the war doesn't exist. Or at least as if it doesn't require a lifestyle change. But here's the thing. While we treat this war as if it has nothing to do with us, people are dying. The enemy may have lost, but he intends to take as many people out with him as possible on his way out the door. So this work of seeing souls into the kingdom, it belongs to all of us. So the next section in Luke chapter 12 is about the choice between waiting and watching. Somewhere around verses 35 to 48. Write that in the margin, the choice between waiting and watching. And I'm not going to read this passage to you. I'm just going to kind of tell you it's, that's, that's what this passage is about, this section. It's two different parables. 
And, and he, in the first, he talks about the kingdom being like a house where servants are waiting for their master to come back from a trip. And, and he says the ones who are awake when the master returns are the ones the master honors. And then he tells this other story about a master who puts his staff in charge while he's gone. But really, and he says, you know, when they think he's there, they're working. When they don't think he's there, they're not working. What he's really talking about in both of these is about motives and about how all of this is eventually going to come to an end. And the ones who feel best about it are the ones who live with integrity, whether you think God is watching or not. Because you know what? Jesus is not Santa Claus. We're not having to sing that he knows when you've been looking, he, or he knows when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows when you've been good or bad. That's not what all of this is about at all. He's really, he's inviting us, he's saying, he's saying, if you watch, you will see where I'm working. He was saying life has a point, a destination, and you're either flowing with it or you're frustrating it. Those who are flowing with it will find meaning in life that we all so desperately crave. That's what commitment is all about. We'll we'll, we'll actually talk about that life commitment more next week when we talk about gifts and call, about God's call on every life and how that call is lived out. Here's what I'll say to you for this week. This is from Jesus. Everyone from, from, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted, much more will be asked. You are bright, intelligent, middle class, some upper middle class people in this room. That's much by kingdom standards. So that leads us to the ultimate choice. I want you to write somewhere between 49 and 53, the verses 49 and 53 of chapter 12, the ultimate choice. Write that in your margin, the ultimate choice. And here's Jesus, and you can just feel the fire, the hunger, the passion in him. I have come to bring a fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo. I want you to underline, I have a baptism to undergo. And what constraint I'm under until it's completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I'm telling you, division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Some of you need to say amen right now. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Of course, their families live together, and it's very different what they're talking about right there. I have to be honest. We need to be honest. This is not the passage they will use when they're making a brochure about how great it is to be a Christian. We have a hard enough time holding it together in our homes and families without Jesus telling us he plans to make it harder. But Jesus is is talking here not so much about conflict. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about choice. 
He's talking about what we prioritize and how that affects every other part of our lives, how that affects how, how faithful we will be and how fruitful we will be. When we live our baptism, you remember he said, I have a baptism to undergo. When you and I live our baptism, we will get our hearts broken, both for the ones who don't yet know and for the ones we love who may not understand our priorities. Our lives, right up next to their lives, will cause some of them to move toward Jesus and some of them to move away from him. So when Jesus says, I've come to bring fire on the earth, maybe he isn't just talking about the kind of fire that separates the men from the boys. Maybe he's also talking about the kind of fire that burns away everything that keeps us from following with our whole hearts. You think I've come to bring peace? No, not the way you're thinking. Not if you're thinking that peace equals comfort or security in the sense of every question being answered, every contingency cared for, or before you step out into thin air, a great assurance that the ground will rise up to meet you. No, I have come to bring division, Jesus says, and sometimes that division will be right down the middle of you. It's that thing that wrestles at every intersection. Do I go with God here, or do I take the safer route? And Jesus gives us these moments because these intersections are actually where sanctification happens. These pivots, that's where faith is built. Living our baptism is sometimes going to be uncomfortable, but here's the good news. Living our baptism is how we find purpose. It's how we find Jesus. In our 20 years at Mosaic, we've sent four teams to India. Three of them were with Global Hope Partners. In India, there are literally thousands of voices vying for the attention of the people who live in India. There are temples on every corner. Sometimes there are, there, you'll find a temple sitting right in the middle of a street because somebody had some good luck there and they've decided a god was in charge of it. They'll set up a temple right in the middle of a street. Idols on every dashboard. Literally thousands of gods. There are also literally hundreds of thousands of pastors and ministry leaders, nuns and priests and, and, and evangelical pastors and, and nonprofit Christians leading, teaching, preaching and teaching the word of God in thousands of little villages and under countless tents and trees and in homes and in little hole-in-the-wall buildings, traveling with Global Hope Partners. I've seen them. And I have been humbled by the poverty of the pastors and by their faith. I remember standing outside of a kind of a lean-to church structure and right behind it was a, was a, a house that was no larger than our sound booth and it was it was actually smaller than our sound booth and it housed the whole family no plumbing this is a man who'd chosen to give his life to Jesus in that way I've seen the same in Cuba millions of people are part of this Jesus movement in India right now those 27 million that's what they estimate are still only about 2% of the total population of India. The challenge of preaching Christ in India is calling people to a Jesus-only gospel. 
Because Hindus accept the concept of thousands of gods, so they don't have a problem tossing one more on the pile. But claiming Christ alone to the exclusion of every other god or worldview, that's a different offer. And while the culture of our country may not be so obvious as idols on every dashboard, we live in that culture too. We have voices too, voices vying for our attention, voices tempting us to a Jesus plus religion. Casual participation will not silence those voices. It takes hunger to silence those voices. But I believe every person who claims Christ alone is like a spark. And every preacher who cries out in the wilderness of any land that is minority Christian is like a spark. And one day, all those sparks in India are going to kindle a fire that will sweep across that country and win a billion and a half people to Jesus alone. And here's the thing. Even if I am wrong about that, it's still the right way to respond in faith to the call of Jesus. I don't have to be right. I just have to be faithful. Just like the spark that has ignited in Cuba and like the spark that is gaining heat in Venezuela, this is why we care about a global gospel and why we work to make a global impact. It's because we believe that Christ alone is not just for us, not just in our barns, not just when we think the master is watching, but all the time, in every nation, every tribe and tongue. Jesus says, I have come to start a fire on earth. And I wish, friends, you were already kindled. I wish you were already kindled. Will you stand? We cannot be in two places at the same time. So how do you choose where you'll be? Here's what I've been thinking as I've been working this message out for myself. I mean, I can think of lots of places where internally I'm in two places at once. But I've been thinking about our church. And how all of this, to a person who doesn't have ears to hear, sounds like a good sales pitch. But if you have ears to hear, here's what I would want you to hear. That we are a missional community. That's what we do. How much do you believe in that? If you believe in missional community, then be all in. We're not a mega church. We're not a more traditional congregation. I love those. I, I love mega churches. I love a traditional church service as much as the next person. I, I love programming. It's easy. But missional community, that's what got my heart 25 years ago. And that's what we're here to do. And if that's what you're about, then do everything you can to be where that is happening. Jesus, my prayer for my friends and for me is that you would show us 
the intersections and call us higher. Call us higher. Call us higher. Call us higher. I want to invite you to come and pray for the GIC this morning. Come and, and be here at the altar. Pray for your response. Pray for the GIC. Pray for it. You can come now. You can come. And if you stay in your chair, I'm going to invite you to use this time and use this song, Build My Life. It's your own personal cry for the Lord to do what he needs to do in you. You're invited to come. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.